This is Healthy Business with Dr. Charles Moak. Learn how to help transform your business into a wildly profitable, well-oiled machine. Start practicing healthcare that not only benefits your patients and your community, but grows your business. This is Cam Carmen, and Dr. Moak is telling me today how he's become an industry thought leader by turning what he loves into a profitable business. And we want to hear about that. Thanks, Cam. So, you know, what's profitability? I have a good idea on that. There's different terms we use for it, but profit typically is like what people call the bottom line or making money more than you spent. Then there's cash flow, which might be a little different thing. That gets kind of sucked dry when you're growing because you have to buy stuff. There's something called EBITDA, which might be a little bit different. But let's just talk about the general concept of profitability and why it's important to be wildly profitable to grow a business. So we look at businesses that succeed. They really succeed or fail based on cash flow, not profitability so much. So companies can grow very fast and be profitable technically on paper, but run out of cash. That's a different story. That's where you're having to spend so much money for stuff that you're amortizing over years. Like if you buy another business, buy stock, you can't really deduct it, but you spent the money. It doesn't really count on your profit against your profitability. So again, I'm going to stick with regular profitability, not assuming that stuff, but we've gone through these things. I bought a lot of things to grow and it does affect the bottom line, even though you might be profitable. So we could be profitable and not have any cash. So I'm always having to watch something besides profitability. But there's a fundamental concept. It was written about, I think, a 96 Harvard Business Review, what they called gazelles. I know even Vern Harnish, the scaling up kind of growth group guru, used that same term. But what they found was that for job creation, 70% of new jobs in America at that time, 70% of new jobs that were created were created by companies that are growing more than 20% per year, year over year for four years. So 20% growth year over year for four years come for 70% of new jobs, not jobs, new jobs. And those are what they call the gazelles or companies are usually, you know, in the millions of production, not massive, but really a big part of our economy. But they also noted, maybe not in the same paper, that the companies that grew 20% 20% year over year, created all these jobs, really were dynamos in their industry, in their sector, that had an industry profit margin of 3 to 5x their industry. They were actually much more profitable in the industry. It became kind of like bulletproof. And how do you have three times your industry profit margin? I didn't think it was possible. And when we were growing, we actually were in our first stage of significant growth. After I just grew the one practice and grew the five locations, we actually grew unprofitably. So as I added locations, I had a good system to make the other places profitable. One successful office couldn't carry four uh, money-losing offices. So we did it unprofitably, fixed that, got decent profits again. But the idea of having three times the industry profit margin, I thought was impossible. Like, we're doctor's offices. How can we be more profitable than the industry? It should be all about the same. The flip side is I've seen individual offices that they're not profitable on the ones that really are. So there's variation. So the first thing is the belief that you can have more profit margin, wildly more than your industry. And how do you achieve that? So in 2017, October, I wrote a position paper for a company, our Vivid Vision, that we're going to be three times our industry's profit margin by October of this year. And we're going to be able to pay our employees more, work less hours, and be able to grow all during that time. And once I declared it and had the vision explained, then we started shooting for it. And we've had some ups and downs and things, but then we started realizing some teams just perform better than other teams. Some things we can adjust, like cost of goods sold, how much control over that, but we can control whether or not a customer comes in for service. Do we offer it to them or do we make it too hard for them to get it? Does it take 10 people to do the service or five? They get high net promoter score and high referral rates are low. There is actually a massive difference between the business. And we started this out, we were just in Michigan and we were about average profit margin. We were big big companies who were doing pretty well, but I wanted to go to two to three X. My plan was two to three X by 2020 October. And we started really working on teamwork And I think that's actually in my kind of business, service business, our kind of business, teamwork is the number one predicator of or predictor of profitability. 
not the cost of goods sold, which are supplies, it doesn't change much. And I started using tools like break-even point and contribution margin to understand how to do this better. But I found that the effectiveness of the team was the best predictor of amount of profitability, how much we used to pay the staff as well, because we tie their income to our profitability. And we found that some teams were on teams that were just wildly profitable offices and some were not. But when I looked at them, what was interesting is the highest producing doctors and teams look the least busy, get to doing the most output per person. There's one Dr. Valise that's my friend here in Shelby, and he's very, very high producer. He is the top producer in our practice, I think, or one of the top three or four. He's at the office I come to. He never looks busy, and he's always got time to talk to me. In fact, he's frequently sitting in the same area talking to his staff, and when they come to get him to see another patient, he's not frustrated or tired or all sweaty. He just gets up and does his job. But I visit offices where they're doing one-third what he's doing, and they just look busy, and they're telling me how busy it is, how they have any more time, they're booked out. Let's start looking at what's the difference. Well, the, the high-performing teams, everybody has a pretty good understanding of everybody else's job, and they trust them to help them. They have a pretty good accountability amongst each other, so they know the work will be done that's asked to be done, and they have a mutual trust, and they know that the work that needs to be done will get done. But they also mostly focus on, not mostly, this is the outcome is they make everybody else's job easier. So what we've seen in the lowest performing teams, because we've visited over 100 practices, and the ones that are really, I think, don't, aren't going to stay in business, there's a doctor and some technicians, a nurse, front desk, but they don't know what the other person's doing. They're just very specialized in what they do. The doctor will only practice medicine, but doesn't understand that if his charts are really good, the biller can do a better job. And if he communicates with tech really well what he wants, they'll spend less time looking for what he's wanting. And we found that by cross-training all the teams where the doctor pretty much understands everybody else's job and their job now, the physician's job, is to make everybody else's job easier. And then the medical assistant's job is to make the technologist and the front desk and the doctor's job easier. Once they do that, they start actually just peeling away time and becoming more profitable. And we set this concept of two to three times our industry's profit margin in Michigan by 2020, October. And last year, five out of the six offices were three times the industry's profit margin. And one was right about one and a half times profit margin of the industry. So doing pretty good. We're actually going to fix that this year. So we achieved it. We'll achieve it by October. We had a little dip in the profitability the last two months because we had some big mistakes in our what's called revenue cycle. So that set us back a little bit. But overall, we're still going to be there by October. We already were there last October. I asked you earlier, are you busy today? And you said no. That busy question is something that sticks in my head and something I was taught by my coach, Dan Sullivan is that there's a comfort line zone in your life. And the comfort line might be an inch off the ground or 10 inches off the ground or a foot off the ground. Everything below there is where you're busy. That's stuff that you know how to do. They have mastery. There's a lot of inertia keeping it going. And these doctors I see that are busy, they're actually always doing the same thing over and over again. I'll say, why don't you videotape yourself saying the things that you say to the people five times a day? Like, I'm too busy. I can't videotape myself. Why don't you train the PA how to do 90% of your work? You understand I'm just so busy. But once you cross that comfort zone line, a couple things happen. First off, you have fear because you're afraid of doing something different. You've been doing it this way for so long. After fear comes rapid learning, and after rapid learning comes growth. And if you're busy, you cannot grow. It is not possible to grow while busy. You can only do the same thing while busy or more of the same thing. When I talk to doctors that are feeling they have a lot of financial pressure from the outside, and they complain about the insurance reimbursement, getting cut every year, which it does. They claim about the complexity of healthcare. It happens. The expense of electronic medical records, it happens. And I say, why don't you just run your business different? I'm doing everything possible is what I hear. I'm doing everything possible. I'm like, well, do you think there's guys that are wildly successful doing this? Well, yeah, but maybe they're in a different area, but it's really just because they've thought differently. And it takes us a long time to convince them. But if we can convince them to stop being afraid and start thinking outside of the comfort zone, we can increase 
the sales of their business substantially, deliver better healthcare, make the customers happier. And I've learned this busyness thing where I think about it all the time. And every few months, I figure out how to get rid of 500 hours of work. My first exercise was back in October of 2018. My coach said, what would happen if you had another 1,000 hours a year? That's, poof, you got another 1,000 hours. What would you achieve? And I wrote down a list of stuff I'd do. He goes, well, in that next couple of years, figure out how to get it. I get 1,000 hours free. And there he does some things that free up time. I stopped driving a car a while ago, a few years ago. I mean, I drive it, but just on the weekends, I got a good driver. I bought a couple of airplanes. I use a helicopter once in a while. And those are really expensive ways to free up time. And I wouldn't recommend it for everybody unless you're in that situation where there's no question about the cost. But the biggest thing that saved me time, and again, that, the driver thing is actually pretty awesome because a lot of people like to drive and you can get a lot of work done your way to work. Back in October 2018, I looked at my schedule and at that time I was running the business and I was in finance meetings, billings meetings, call center meetings, marketing meetings, business running meetings. And about 20, 24 hours a week, I was in meetings to run the business. And my coach said, get rid of a thousand hours in the next two years. I'm like, I can see him right now. So I sent Maria, my assistant, a message. I'm going to go to 90 minutes of meetings a week, cancel everything else. And she goes, what's going to happen? I'm like, well, we'll find out. Well, it turns out that they didn't need me. They were waiting for me to leave to make decisions on their own departments I was in. And every now and then I go in to sprinkle a little spice on the meeting from time to time. But I found out I'm more like an anarchist. So when the meeting's going on, I'm thinking of something that we're going to be doing in the future and talking about it. And it really disrupts people's current thinking. And once in a while, they'll go off the reservation and do things that are incorrect. And that's happened with our revenue cycle recently. And I got to get activated and bring it back on square. But they did not need me. I was in there suppressing other people from growing. And then I realized not only was my working inside my comfort zone, running the business, keeping me from growing, it was keeping everybody else from growing. And I vowed never to be busy again. But I'm occupied. Occupied. And you're not sitting idle. Yeah, I'm not idle. I do right. stuff. But I, my schedule is very, very open. Right. And I get messages from me. I know you're really a busy guy. I'm like, I am not busy. Huh. You have my full attention. Now tell me how you push boundaries to get where you want to be and where you see yourself in the future pushing those boundaries. Well, pushing a boundary would kind of be that comfort zone. And I think I lose them all the time. So I'm comfortable with that. But we really have a goal, a mission of our company of saving 10 billion a year by 2025 through this eliminating most of wound care. And then my head starts thinking, hey, what's next? And it's $100 billion. So now I'm looking at other service lines that have a bigger impact because the wound care is not $100 billion. It's only a $32 billion market. So now we're looking at cardiology, reducing heart attack deaths, stroke deaths, looking at critical limb salvage where people are at risk for amputations, work in the company that's reducing that without lopping the foot off. And that's where I'm looking at the boundaries is questioning what we've been doing for years that makes the economic machine of healthcare work converting healthcare into curing people and still making it profitable, but it will actually damage some kind of long held, I mean, the wound care knocking that out, it's going to affect wound care centers. But quite frankly, I mean, when this was invented in the 1800s, there's a lifespan on it. And just like there's, you know, when we have autonomous cars, it's going to affect, you know, taxi drivers, it's going to happen. Maybe those people should start thinking now, if they're young, they transition into another career because what's never happened in technology and growth is that for any long period of time did the world get worse off? It always became more and more abundant. And if you have an abundance mindset, the barriers are just temporary obstacles. Barriers for us would be thinking that a small business based in Detroit can save healthcare. But once I decided that we can do it, my whole team got behind me. I know you pretty well, and I'd say you have great goals and what you're striving for. Do you ever think anything is too lofty that you can't achieve one of your goals? It's interesting. Jim Collins used the word. BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal. And I think the definition is something that's 10 to 25 years out, 
that's like a climbing a summit that there's a good chance it won't happen. And some of you use the word stretch goals and other goals of things that just might not happen. But it actually lets you build the framework of how to make things happen. And when I decided to save $10 billion a year, when I first started talking about it, it didn't seem possible. But then I started doing the math on how we're going to do it. And I didn't just guess $10 billion. I made. I said it for a specific reason. I wrote a book on how we're going to do it. I set up a framework. I started creating teams in such a way it happened. I realized got to be much more profitable in the industry. And we're on track to go. They're actually a little ahead of schedule. So shooting for $100 billion doesn't seem too lofty. Now, there's aspirational goals that may never occur, like I'm going to save the humanity. But I think the more specific you are, having a X to Y by when and how, you can set really big goals and achieve them. But without big goals, nothing happens. Mm-hmm. And that's the flip side. I mean, Elon Musk can be as eccentric as you want to make him be, but he's got obviously really big goals, but he's achieving them. Now, if he hadn't set them, there'd be no SpaceX or no Tesla, no solar panels, no Sun City, and these things wouldn't exist. So big goals lead to big outcomes. And small goals lead to nothing. Once again, really great information, Dr. Mokanite. We appreciate you sharing your vision with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Healthy Business. We'll see you next time.